The saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode comes to a spine-chilling climax in the final installment of this trilogy. It's Halloween Ends and it's Slasher Sports Cinema. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? We all go a little mad sometimes. Claude, it's no fun to you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone, welcome to Slasher Sports Cinema. I am your host and today, moderator, maybe? I've got a special panel of some very good friends of mine and we're taking a look at the grand finale of the David Gordon Green directed Halloween Ends. Really polarizing flick. Uh, so without any further delay, let me introduce our panel of no-gooder co-hosts. He is the host and producer of Weber State Weekly, fellow Nashville Sounds fan, Milwaukee Brewers fan. Welcome to the show, Mr. Colby Peterson. Billy, so good to be on with you, man. We've talked a lot on Twitter, and so this is the first time that we've got a little bit of time to get together and taking a little bit of a break from sports to talk a little bit about cinema, man. So excited. I'm happy to have you on, man. You're right. We've been chit chatting through the, well, for the better part of a year or more over the baseball season. Yeah. I didn't even know. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't even know at the time that we followed each other that you were also in Nashville. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, Cause we just moved here about a year ago. Like just, uh, so you were probably ago. new on the block. Yeah. I mean, fairly new, right? Like just, I feel like we still are figuring out Nashville, even though it's been a year, but yeah. Uh, well, it takes a while. It, it does take a <laughs> while. It's just a different kind of town. You know, you got your, your, your little sectors. It's almost like the, 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 the boroughs in, in New York, except in a very minuscule, <laughs> minuscule uh, landscape. But, you know, meeting you through Milwaukee Brewers of all Brewers Twitter is how it happened. It's true. And we're right in each other's backyards. It's bananas. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anybody who follows you knows that you're a, a hardcore sports guy, but you yeah. actively seek out the weekend horrors and I salute you for it. But, you know, it was the most like wildly timed thing. You and I spoke uh, before uh, whether or not it was, you know, there was a horror version of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Oh, yeah, that was a, like a random idea I had in my kitchen one day and I was like, you know who would know about this? Billy and Slasher Sports. Let's let's send the question over to them. And uh, you guys had a good answer. And then apparently you speak it into existence. Now you there's going to be into a existence. Thing. You did it. <laughs> They're going to do not it. Not a month later either. Not a month later. It's like they announced it. And like since then, either the working titles have been dropped or changed to You're a Mean One. Mm. I don't know about a cast yet, but I'm totally down for it. It's going to be good holiday horror viewing. Holiday horror is a special, uh, special niche in the genre, right? And so always look forward to those. Me too, man. But our second member of the panel, 
great friend uh, I met when I was still on the judo and jujitsu mats. And now he's one of the best tattoo artists in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He is my good friend, Justin Webb. Webster, welcome. How's it going, guys? How's hey, everyone man, doing? I, I, don't, I don't know anybody from Bowling Green, Justin, okay, except you and a guy I graduated high school with uh, who's also a tattoo artist, yeah. or at least uh, he was the last time I heard. Uh, you, you know him, Wes Carter. Yeah, yeah. And John Carpenter. Say that again? And John Carpenter. <laughs> John Carpenter himself. Him, well, yeah. Hopefully, you're not in a rival tattoo gang or anything. And I just, you know, stirred up a ruckus. Uh, but I think you, you and uh, Wes are pretty good pals. And uh, yeah, yeah, I need to get him on. I really do. I, I haven't you talked to him since high school. Super insightful guy. He really is. like knowledgeable about like a lot of stuff. And Man's lives. Thing. He's he, yeah. He has, and it's the dumbest thing in the world. But the dude is a baller. He yeah. Can, Pick up a basketball and he will make you look silly. You That's look at I him do. and he didn't look like that before. Okay. Like he, he had the short, high and tight, almost yeah. preppy kid. Almost. He he also like runs like ultra marathons now. Dang. I believe like, that. He runs to work from uh like another county. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. Like that is like, bananas. Yeah, like, ran, like 40 miles today. I'm like, so right. he's gone nuts too since. That, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it couldn't be me. Could not be me. Yeah, couldn't be me. Well, finally, guys, she puts the sin in cinema. And if you're not hearing the show for the first time, then you've heard the voice. She provides the intro to the show. When you hear you're listening to, she is my go-to when it comes to horror literature. And that's because you know I fucking hate to read. She is Brittany. McQuiston. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, guys. Hello. I do want to thank you, Brittany, for coming on such short notice. Uh, I mentioned it, and you were game from Jump Street. Absolutely. Anytime. I couldn't have asked for a better crew to join me today. Guys, listen, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kill, they've been kind of talked to death. So I will spare everyone that discord. Uh, but we do need to talk about the end of Halloween Kills, like to set the scene, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. Leaving the theater after seeing Halloween Kills, high level, what did you expect out of the upcoming final installment? Colby, let's start with you. So, yeah, we were super excited to go and see Kills when it came out, you know, because we knew that there was going to be so many ties back to especially the first film. Like it's one of my wife's favorite films. And so, you know, bringing back characters like Lindsay, right, which we've got this joke in our family where it's like we she my wife listens to a uh, fan. That's like the white noise thing during the day or at night when she sleeps. And the fan is always named Lindsay. <laughs> so like there are all these like little things in our life and so bringing back some of that stuff from the original film and just little pieces from throughout right uh it was like man this is great because i love nostalgia especially in films like this and so like you said leaving the theater it was clear that like oh okay because i i guess at the time i wasn't aware that there was going to be another film but the way that it ended it's like oh there's more sort of like in the way that the original film ended where you know michael falls through the window and then they go and look out, and he's gone. 
right? And so, and that leads eventually to Halloween two, which is just a continuation of the same night. Uh, it was clear that like that was going to happen. This one happens a little bit differently, right? Because there is a gap. But uh, I, I, being just a casual observer of Halloween films and at the end of Kills, it was like, okay, we got a little more. And more Halloween is always good, in my opinion. Well, you know, less is not more, right? We we don't want less. We don't really even want it to end, if if I'm being real about it. Yeah, I'll um, take more. Brittany, what say you? What did you expect about uh, or expect from ends at the end of Kills? So watching Kills did see in theater, A-plus experience. Uh, I was the first Halloween I got to see in theaters. So I was hyped. It was I, that brutality. I was a level I didn't expect from David Gordon Green, but I, I was, I was thrilled and I knew that there was going to be another one. And I had set myself up for it to be that final epic showdown that we were just all been waiting for ever since we first saw Halloween for the first time. And I I just knew it was going to be something that no one was going to expect, but it was going to, he had a, he was going to wrap it up satisfyingly. You you were just, you were going to wait for that final moment, that final gotcha. I, I got it. I got him type thing. And that's, that's exactly what I expected. Well, you know, going into kills myself uh, or into ends myself, I I made the mistake of basically taking the the alternate ending of kills as like the ending. I keep forgetting that it does not end. Like the the canon end is not Lori calling Karen and hearing Michael's breathing and saying, well, I'm coming for you, Michael. That's not the ending. The ending is just, you know, uh, what we saw out of the theatrical version. So I expected something a little bit different. You know, I expected there to be some sort of, some sort of fight at the beginning that, that shows us how like this is all, I expected basically a 90 minute fist fight between the two and, Obviously, that wasn't what we were going to get. When I heard that we were skipping forward four years, um, I said, okay, well, they're definitely going to go a different direction in this. And a different direction they did. Justin, what say you, my guy? Uh, going out of kills and it ends, um, my expectations, I was really hoping for, you know, some sort of finality. Just because you, you with the end of kills, with, you know... Uh, Every there was just it was a nonstop just zero to ninety slasher fest. It was just a classic slasher film and a hot body count. So you just want to see kind of just like they set up so much at the end of kills in terms of like is he supernatural? Is he not? You know, is he uh, does killing make him stronger? Is he transcending? You know, um, so many of these loose ends, especially with like you know what's the what's the relevance of the window, et cetera. And then you know. I had high hopes that uh, ends would tie it all together, put a little bow on it, and explain some stuff for us. The window was a big point of contention. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if contention is the right word, but maybe more like 
it, it led me to have some questions. Like, why is he going to the window? Because once he killed uh, uh, Big John, and he's hanging out by the window, and here comes Little John. Well, he brings him away from him. And then, you know, we find Karen later on at the end. Kills Karen, and he's back to the, um, you know, back to the window again. Mm-hmm. So, well, what do you, what do you really make of the window scene, Brittany? Well, what's, what was the significance from kills of the window to you? At the time, I never paid it much attention. I, you know, it was okay. It's just kind of like a plot point. Got to, you know, tie in something. I had a feeling, especially when they kept mentioning, you know, he was he looking out of, they were going to tie it into the town somehow, some way, but I couldn't really foreshadow how they were going to do that. I thought it was a, an odd little touch, uh, just specifically that window, but I, I had a strong sense that it was going to be a kind of a inward looking outward type of and and projection type of thing onto your outer surroundings, a little psychology there. Um, but I had to stop and think about that afterwards. I didn't at the time I didn't give it too much thought, but afterwards I was like, uh, this is probably setting setting up something a little bit bigger than just these main characters, but that was that's what I got out of it. You know, you're not too far off from where I started, but that's so far from where I ended. <laughs> I was oh, okay. like looking at this window stuff and thinking to myself, okay, yeah, there's there's something to this. Um, I, I think. Uh, Maybe I looked a little bit too far into it. Well, actually, I know I did because there was absolutely no window significance in uh, in ends. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, like, is he looking at the reflection? Is he looking across the street at something? Like, well, what what the hell is 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 old man Marley from uh, Home Alone going to be dragging a, <laughs> a a barrel up the the sidewalk and salting the sidewalks? I don't know what the fuck this is, but it wasn't what I expected. Yeah. Colby, did you have any? theories any hypotheses on the window situation so a couple of them right man so i talked in in you know my intro about the the ties back to the original and so if you're familiar with the very first film from the 70s you know the 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 deed the thing that kind of begins michael myers career quote unquote it happens upstairs in in those rooms where he's sort of standing and looking out right in the old myers home and that that plays a big role in that first film where he's like, he's looking, he's peeking, he's watching. And then later Loomis is hanging out up there and he's peeking and he's trying to find Michael. And then eventually, you know, he shoots him and he falls out the window and that falling out the window then sort of unleashes him onto Haddonfield for round two, which becomes Halloween two at the end of kills. Like you said, where he's like constantly looking out the window and like, there are these scenes it feels like they're kind of like tying back to that. But at the same time, I hear what you guys are saying too, where it's like this introspection almost where it's like, he's looking out at the world in a way that, you know, maybe he's trying to make sense of it. Cause it's like, it's almost like cliche where, Oh, the guy's standing there looking out the window. You can contemplate it. Right. It's like, maybe that's what they're trying to do. But to me, it's like, they're trying to, to harken back to days of yore 
which is what a lot of that film did. You know, I, I mentioned the fact that they brought in Lindsay, they brought back, you know, Tommy Doyle and Tommy Doyle ends up, you know, being a rabble rouser, which good for Tommy, man. <laughs> I didn't know he had it in him, but yeah, I guess I, I sort of ended kind of the way that, that Brittany did where it's just like, I don't know uh, what it means. I have my own thoughts, but I really can't like say, yeah, that's it for sure. It's just conjecture on my part. Yeah. You're right though. Um, Oh, hey, Christian's chiming in. Would you say it lived up to the whole series? Oh, I'm going to leave that to you guys. Justin, you want to take that one first? Like, oh, I think he's muted. Let me unmute him. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, would you say like the movie uh, ends itself? I, I think so. Yeah. Would you say uh, Halloween ends lived up to what we expected through the whole series? I I don't think it lived up to a lot of what people expected, but I think in a different world, it could have been a really good addition to the franchise. Like, I think it could have been really good. I don't think it was marketed or lived up to what everybody thought it would be. So maybe not great, maybe not terrible, different and could have been better. If it had just owned that, and I know three, you know, Season of the Witch is very, like, a big point of contention for, like, a lot of Halloween fans, but uh, this was their three. This was their Season of the Witch, you know, it's, and, you know. No, I'll I'll give you that. We should probably just start back at the trailers. Um, It it feels like it it took a, a... a long time to get something out there to us. Like we were really, and I can't really even say that this was something that like I've compared between say barbarian or smile um, or Pearl. Like we we got trailers for a long time. It felt like there was no time between movie release and like the first trailer we got, but did the trailer set the proper expectation? I don't know that it did. No, absolutely not. Yeah, so spoilers really did a number on on all of us. Okay, it was impossible to miss those tra- to to miss those uh, those spoilers. So yeah, um, people were posting them left and right in the Facebook groups, the Reddit groups, and you can't really hang around those if you don't want to get a movie spoiled, right? But the first big thing was this new character named Corey Cunningham, you know, having a big role in the film. Um, only speaking from the beginning. You know, initially, how do you feel about having a brand new guy come in and be this big a part of our grand finale? Uh, Colby, let's start with you. Yeah, because I, yeah, when if you see the film, you know, there's in some ways it's it's sort of like what you're talking about, Billy, where it's like a cold open, where it's like this is a thing that's completely over here in left field that is brand new in its entirety, and you know they go through it and they and what happens happens, but having, having Corey play this big of a role is kind of interesting. Cause I think that the film probably needed it because like, could they really build enough story around the kind of end of the Michael Myers saga? Like you said at the, at the top Billy with Strode and Michael with Lori and Michael kind of like, you know, this long years, decades long battle between the two that this was going to be the, the culmination of all of that. Now, all of a sudden, there's this new guy, and it's like, I think that that's probably a mechanism that had to happen because I don't know that there would have been enough story 
to do the the tortured Laurie Strode movie one more time. You know, like they, they, it probably wouldn't have been enough. And so they introduced Corey, who I think is a really interesting character. Um, like in some ways, like he's just so many things throughout the film that it keeps him interesting throughout and watching him go through those those changes is good for the film. So I don't mind it, um, but it is also kind of maybe a little bit disappointing because it's like, oh, I got invested in this character and then the end happens. And like you said, this is sort of it all gets wrapped up. So that's it. So the send off is really surrounding this brand new guy who we didn't have any kind of emotional tie to yeah we regrow it you know for the for the course of about 60 65 minutes or so and then you know we begin to see what happens so it's very just very new do you agree uh i i I feel like we i do agree we didn't have enough story for the torch and laurie strode story one more time um, we could have done something with Alice, maybe. I don't, I liked Corey as a character. I feel introducing him even in kills may have been like a little bit better, maybe a little bit more beneficial. Um, because while we did, we had to quickly get invested in the character, and um, I, I was shocked at how much sympathy I had for him, you know. Um, I ended up having a lot of sympathy for the character and I felt bad for him, which, you know, mission accomplished, accomplished from the writers. But at the same time, um, his entire story and the way that his story comes to an end in this movie, it it was sort of abrupt, you know, and I feel like uh, we almost get like this main character that kind of just gets a mass send off. I don't know. It was, I, I can go both ways on Corey. And I watched the film a few times now just to kind of try to really convince yourself. In. I just, I feel like he was a rushed character. Well, it did take the entire film to get that character arc. And like, it, it was essentially Corey's movie because you yeah. see him go from the bullied, uh, well, I would say youth, but no, he's basically the same age in all of this. Um, there's really what three years difference two years difference between uh, uh, the beginning of Corey and the demise of Corey. Um, so Brittany, what say you, how, how did you feel about having the brand new character come in and basically engulf the entire storyline? Yeah. So I didn't mind the character. Um, I, I too, I agree with both of you, actually. It was the character itself was fascinating watching watching a true accident that you didn't mean to happen kind of manifest itself into this really arc villain character that it was truly made and you 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 know that there's probably little pieces of, you know, that already lying inside of you but that pushing and that prodding was fantastic uh i wish that it felt like they tried to season of the witch trying to try to you know make a their own movie but slap a halloween logo on it and slap the hollow the mask on it i i would have loved to see uh him really just have his own movie uh and and start the 
anthology series. That would have been fantastic. Uh, but I didn't care for it in the context to which they did it. It was it's a little abrupt much you you got it attached and then it was just gone and then it was it was not not my favorite piece i wonder if if halloween ends in 40 years is going to get the same treatment that um halloween 3 gets right now from the hardcores so you know what we we want a halloween 3 remake right now right well, maybe in 40 years, they're going to want a Halloween Ends uh, standalone reboot. The the Corey Cunningham I story. I would love yeah, a Corey movie. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. Because isn't it pretty stupid that we all hate the fact that uh, this whole thing didn't revolve around Michael, but we are still fascinated and take nothing away at all from Corey Cunningham and his arc. Yeah. That, that's I mean, bananas that's to me. That just that just proves everything that John Carpenter originally wanted for the series, where he wanted a different story in each movie every year, and he wanted to go away from the Michael Myers character after the first film. And this just proves he was right. Shoot him from the hip. Just a quick yes or no. Do you think a Friday the 13th film about Pamela Voorhees would fly right now? Would it oh, do I, well? Yeah. Yeah, because I think that, you know, we were talking a little bit about this beforehand. Backstory, man. People want yeah. that stuff. I agree. I agree. I, I, I would see the hell out of a Pamela Voorhees movie. 100%. Yeah, give, give, me, uh, give me some of the stuff from the graphic novels, the, the, the dad. I, I can't remember what his situation was. I, I don't do a ton of reading, but uh, Elias Voorhees, he should have a big part in that. And like, let's see what that was all about. Let's see what made Jason, Jason, right? And, and maybe get like that, that scrappy do reveal at the end, take off the mask. And oh, it was Jason the whole time. And then it goes off, cut the black. Let me ask you guys a question, because I just thought of this while we were talking about, you know, Corey Cunningham. And do you think that it's kind of this attempt to humanize Michael in a way that they just wouldn't be able to because Michael Myers is like kind of this iconoclast thing that you just can't humanize Michael. Right. But like if I introduce Corey Cunningham as a character and I take him through this torture and, you know, the way that society treats him over, you know, and this murder over an accident, which, you know, you can quibble over that and say, well, that's not what happened with the original Michael Myers at all, Colby. But do you think that introducing the mechanism of Corey and the tie that they have throughout the film with Michael, that it's a way of saying like, here's, here's Michael, but not Michael at the same time. So you have some sympathies for him and understanding like the, the forces, like you're saying, Billy on, this is how this guy becomes what he is because all these other things are happening and like people are cruel and just society is mean. And so then you see the blossom of a true villain. And then things happen. Do you guys feel that that's legit or is that just, eh, I, come on, Colby. I think so. I, I absolutely think so. I think there's a lot of people that the Halloween fans are divided on, does Michael get a backstory or does he not? And a lot of people hated the Rob Zombie films because it almost gave him too much of a backstory. And it's like, well, what made him him? And this kind of like, this movie kind of, does that in a more discreet way you kind of look at like well something molded Corey, so therefore maybe something molded michael there has there's you know there's it kind of does it in a more discreet way of like these people aren't 
just evil for the sake of being evil. And I, I personally like that approach where you kind of have some understanding of why they tick, you know? You know, I really, anybody who says anything about Rob Zombie Halloween one, um, they can meet me in an alley and we'll talk about it. We're not coming out of that alley until our business is settled. Whatever they have to say about Halloween two, I'll shake their hand, buy them a drink and, and then agree with them. You know, um, it's like, I am so like my, my, my liking of Halloween one Rob zombie and my dislike of two is like the difference between raw and grilled onions. Okay. It's night and day, daddy. I don't like it. I just couldn't do Halloween two whatsoever, but Colby to your point, that is a very good, very good analysis because even Corey brings it up to Allison. It's like, look, they look at you as a survivor. They look at me as a murderer. And so, yeah, everything you're saying is 100% on point. And uh, what Justin was saying makes total sense to me. Well, I think, I think also Halloween ends also, they try to lend that same thing to Michael whenever um, the character is saying, you taunted, you taunted this man. You know, to Laurie, she was, you taunted this man, or she, she tortured this and teased this mentally challenged man until he, you know, snapped. And then it and was not like only one person said that. that. Yeah. Multiple people said that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Outside the grocery store, there was the radio DJ. Mm-hmm. Like more than one person had the, the thought that Lori was at fault for this. Like she, she's the one who goaded him and you, you can only expect a dog not to bite your hand for so long but the irony is these people that talked about how michael was molded are also characters that do this to Corey throughout the film the very ones the very ones so let's talk about the cold open i want to know your thoughts on the cold open involving Corey and the child he was babysitting little fucking annoying child (laughs) um i I think the annoying child trope has, has gone a little far like in 2018 uh, the little kid that was being babysat he he was cool uh he would talk that shit he would talk it but he was cool about it he still liked his babysitter this other kid i might have thrown him off the balcony i don't know that for sure and for legal purposes this is a hypothetical situation i don't babysit children now um, but all the usual clues that we'd see with michael having entered a home you know you see the the mysteriously open door the, the missing knife, the, the lamp knocked over. They give us some suspense, but ultimately it's just the kid being the kid, right? And do you feel like this opening scene does enough to get that sympathy? Justin, you kind of, uh, you kind of started going that way because you did say that you had uh, some sympathy for Corey. Is, but was this scene enough to, to turn him into that quote-unquote boogeyman that the town had been missing? The aftermath of that scene absolutely um he was he was a victim of circumstance and like wrong place wrong time he's holding a knife looking over a balcony as the parents walk in i mean and he says you know i'm gonna kill you obviously doesn't mean it at that time but you know then ultimately what happens and that he he's put into a really bad situation where and being a young kid in that situation it was more than likely no one was going to believe him 
on his story of what happened. You know, no one was going to listen and uh, inevitably ruined his life. He was, wasn't he, wasn't he going to engineering? He was going to be an engineer or something. And then he ends up working as a, you know, just a welder at a junkyard. I could have used a little bit more of a cold opening with maybe a montage of testimony against him. Yeah. Maybe the mom saying, I overheard him saying in, in the room upstairs, I'm going to kill you. And he had a knife to make it just a, blur that line just a little bit more. Because, I mean, logic tells you, if you don't go too far into it, logic tells you that we didn't see any knife wounds. So the knife wasn't used. It was clean. There's no DNA on it other than the kid holding it. So, yeah, it's kind of cut and dry. But you start putting those other things in there with the testimony from the parents, maybe you've got a point to say, okay, yeah, they did demonize him really badly. And that was the, uh, that, that was the, the, the turnout. And it's small town hearsay, small town hearsay. We know all about that. Don't we? So that's what I was going to say is that like the rumor mill starts to churn at that point because not everybody knows what happened in there. Right. Like maybe they didn't read the police report or people talk. And so it's like it's a little bit of telephone game. Things get distorted. And next thing you know, this dude is the most evil villain who got off because the cops are there. They investigate. They see that it is, in fact, an accident. It's not, you know, doing anything. But people talk. Well, if if people are talking to the point where they think Lori is the the response the responsible party for for michael's doing of course the rumor mill is going to say that Corey is you know one thousand percent guilty for killing this child right details details but no detail is too small i want to get your thoughts on the uh the the blue opening credit lettering um i mean we know that came from halloween three we we know it was an homage to halloween three you think there's something that's maybe going a little bit deeper than just an homage, maybe something a little bit deeper than face value. What say you, Brittany? I think it was definitely, I uh, just actually read an interview that there was um, with David, about David Gordon Green. And he said there was going to be an alternate ending with like an actual, the a season of the witch type ending factory the everything so i think they set out to make truly like a season of the witch type which would have been awesome but you you know got to figure out you've set up this entire series so far for this epic showdown so you have to have an epic showdown in there you have to actually have people in to get in the seats and so i think that they had to back off of that more than they had originally planned but still left little you know touches here and there um with it and it's you know it is what it is type thing you you set out to make something you just you gotta you gotta reevaluate that would have been an epic ending though it would have even if even if it's an alternate ending, i know it was never shot and yeah. like he, he's made that clear. Yeah. Hopefully he's lying to us. And it's like a third alternate ending <laughs> on the DVDs. Um, I, I would love that. Just to, I mean, they already put some season of the witch Easter egg situations in Halloween kills. You know, the, the masks of the kids that were at the park, you had yeah. the pumpkin, the witch and the, the skeleton, which is great. It's great to see that. I thought that's where it was going to die. I did not realize they had a whole thing written until uh, David Gordon Green mentioned that in that same interview. Um, do you think there's any further depth 
to uh, to the season of the witch in the in the opening lettering, Colby? You know, I don't know, man, because I guess I, I wasn't really paying that big. Of, I wasn't paying that much attention because season of the witch is such a a unique film in the Halloween canon, right? Because it's so, so different from everything else that I think people associate with Halloween that in my brain, it's sort of like far, far away. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, like we've said already here, the culmination of the Lori Michael saga. And then small details like that would have been missed by somebody like me, who's very focused on that. And that's what I'm here because this is Halloween ends. Right. And then we're going to hearken back to season of the witch. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I'm not even I'm not even in the frame of mind to catch that. So good on you guys. But uh, I, I would have totally missed a thing like that. And, and if you guys hadn't brought it up or if, like you said, there hadn't been mentioned of it in an interview. What say you, Justin? Uh, I I, mean, I definitely believe it was like it has to be like some sort of a Easter egg two three because uh, I mean it's it was almost kind of like that little uh, wink and a nod that's saying this isn't Michael's film this isn't this isn't what you're thinking it's going to be this isn't uh, this isn't your traditional Michael Myers chasing a babysitter film, you know, and uh, I think it was probably intentional to do that along with the fact that they, they mirrored the font for two for Halloween Kills, you know, and mirrored the font for uh, 2018 with the original. So I think that this was kind of uh, definitely something to kind of also say, though, that this wasn't your traditional Halloween film. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going with you. The way you started off made me think that it was like you were saying it was just an Easter egg, just a little wink and a nod. But I do think the the latter part of your your comment there uh, pointed at like, hey, we're using this opening font to let you know right off the bat, right off a of Jump Street, like just like Halloween three, this is not going to be what you expected out of the series. You expected Michael in Halloween three, you didn't get him. You expected uh, a certain story in Halloween ends. And you're not going to get it, so just go ahead and subliminally get that through your head. Yeah, but I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, it, that, I think we're on the same page there. Now, post opening credits, there's a montage of Michael um, and his filthy deeds from the previous movie, and then we meet Lori again, who's you know writing her her uh, autobiography. Um, the, uh, the alternate ending again showed Halloween Kills. Um, you know, showed Lori. Uh, call her daughter Karen and you hear Michael's breath on the other end of the call and she declares I'm coming for you Michael now even though this isn't the theatrical thus canon ending uh, you think that maybe set proper expect improper expectations to viewers going in because if you're like me you don't watch a film for the you know if you buy the DVD your normal view which is probably going to be like maybe once a month. If you know, if, if that um, I'm not going to watch the, the lesser number of minutes in a film, I'm going to watch the longest version. And at some point I trick myself into thinking that that ending with Lori walking down the hallway with a knife in her hand, um, ha having declared that she's going to go after Michael. Now I trick myself into believing that is the ending to Halloween kills. So I think I set myself up for failure. Does anybody else 
does anybody else do that? that or did I just do something like really stupid and just kind of against my own better judgment, I guess. I think it's fine to have had those expectations. I don't, I feel that was probably a lot of people's expectations of what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I personally just shooting from the hip here. think uh, they had a lot more time to overthink this film than they probably needed. And if they would, I don't know. I, I think that was kind of, I think that was our problem with kills is that like you've had COVID and you have this whole, you know, time span of like COVID political things and everything else. And I think they made themselves overthink it where they almost like went from, because the original plan was it was just going to be Halloween 2018 and then maybe a sequel to it. And then they've stretched it out to a trilogy. And it's almost like, well, we've got too many ideas to cram in here. <laughs> so really kills yeah. could have been the end of the trilogy. And we would yeah. have been fine with it had had they beat him down in the street and he didn't get up. Yeah, if he, think- if he hadn't like gotten attacked and killed an entire farmer's market of people <laughs> in the street, or you know, John Wick the fire department, it would. Have been, I would have uh, been happy had the lady with the iron got the final yeah, blow. That's why I say like a farmer's market. You had everything, like you know, candles out there. <laughs> you know, Starched his um, ass. I think. I think. Had they flipped the movies, had ends been the second one and then kills been the third, I think that would have been great. Oh, okay. Yeah, just uh, completely ignoring 2018. That's that's an interesting thought because well, I've no, heard no, a lot of people ignoring 2018. Just if you'd done if you'd done like 2018, ends, maybe a blend. So you have Corey, everything else, and then kills, and maybe you can carry Corey on. Maybe there's resolution to him and the new. You know, what would then be kills, but also the entire town attacking Michael. And then, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I dig that. I dig that. Maybe blending 18 and kills a little bit and yeah, and then making that the finale. Well, listen, Lori's baking, crocheting, panicking at the sound of a smoke alarm uh, because she left something in the oven for too long. Um She's like running on her tiptoes. Like you, you ever see those episodes of SpongeBob where he's trying to sneak up on somebody and his little feet are doing that little number? And you, dee, 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 dee. that's how she's doing when she's running towards the kitchen when the, the, the pie is burning. But this is just a few years removed from being a stone cold killer herself. All right, blowing the heads off mannequins in her backyard. Um, you know, what do we think of modern Lori? Has she softened up? Is it believable? Is it logical that she would have gone? from the state that she was in to the state that she is in now. Uh, Brittany, I'm going to kick it off with you. Um, no, I, I didn't. I don't think it was a logical uh, choice. You, it's very hard to go from being in survival mode and, and, and plot and plotting. You're not even just planning, you're plotting how to, how to take on this, other world entity that in your head that is going to come for you and to just switch from that to a little bit of a Susie homemaker type of vibe it was very uh startling i i think they did it to soften her uh which I personally love Lori because she is a badass and and unwilling, but still a badass. You 
you don't survive everything she had survived and not be that way, not be, you know, tough. And I think that there was a, a way to kind of meet the two together without losing that edge that she has that, which is why you love her so much. Um, but I, I think it was a little too, too much to, to try to brush off and, and everything that she'd been through. And it just, it, I think it, it lessened her character a little bit. Colby agree. Yeah, I, I think I agree with Brittany in that like it's difficult to go from especially like the, the progression that we've seen over the last decade or so of Laurie Strode and, you know, just becoming like Brittany said, just sort of like a person who's become really hardcore unwillingly, but had to become really hardcore to now all of a sudden back to almost like original Laurie where she's just trying to live her quiet life and Michael just bursts onto the scene and has a you know a a huge impact on her over the next 40 years or whatever um but one of the things i was thinking about in this film and my wife pointed it out while we were in the theater was that sound was a key piece of this movie you know there were like lots of really loud noises or just throughout the film sound was really really important and i wondered if you know we saw some of that in in previous films where like they used similar sound effects from the original two, right? Where they're like, Oh, we're going to like when Michael appears, you know, there's lots of that kind of stuff. But I wondered if this transition now back to regular old Laurie Strode and sort of almost shedding away everything that she'd become over the years to just now this quiet old lady who lives in a house with her granddaughter and is like you said, Billy, just baking pies. If that was a way to sort of, like it's almost like she let her guard down, which is not something she had done for many, many years. And now she's writing the memoir and like, she's kind of like closing out her life, but then all of this stuff comes back and pushes her back into like what Brittany was talking about, this survival mode. Um, now having been four years removed from kills to say like, no, you can't close it just yet. You need one more time. You, you know, you have to get your armor out one more time and battle and, she does. I mean, you talk about going back to uh, some of the OG uh, pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, a lot of original sounds. Uh, the, the final scene, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the final scene, she was wearing like the original outfit. Was she not, Justin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the kind of denim on denim, kind of mm -hmm. looking a little bit more like a, a denim and diamonds, uh, Silverado's kind of gal, but <laughs> she was, uh, she was wearing the hell out of it, but yeah, you're right. Um, they even brought back Lori's theme. Wasn't there like a, uh, a theme song basically yeah. that, that was on there. I, I, I might've missed that in the, the first view. I, sometimes I don't pick up on the musical parts that I should like the differences, you know, but, um, like just it wasn't that long ago I went and saw the uh, the Nashville Symphony and they were doing uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, soundtrack. And they said, well, this is called this and this is called this. And I'm like thinking, fuck, man, I thought those were the same song. <laughs> uh, so maybe my musical ear is not where it should be. I don't know. That, that That's maybe just me. Uh, Justin, you're a rocker. I, listen, Colby likes to brag about it. He's uh, He's got this sweet guitar in his uh, uh, Twitter profile pic. And I'm oh, a little yeah. bit jealous of it. Yeah, but I, I, I have like the least. I, 
Brittany, I don't even, I don't care if you can only play one note on a piano. You have more musical talent than I do. Okay. No, I do it. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, so the party with Corey, let's talk about that one. This is a kind of a transitional scene, but I think it's a little more important than maybe uh, the casual viewer might see, but the party with Corey and the supermarket scene with, with, uh, with Lori, um, these things happen back to back. Okay, and I think they, they're meant to paint a picture that says uh, neither Corey nor Lori. I hate the fact that these names rhyme. I hate the fact that they rhyme. Um, but neither one of them are able to get away from the people blaming them for their own traumas. Okay. I mean, do you feel that that point was delivered well enough with these scenes? I mean, at first glance, they feel like filler scenes, like I said, but I think they're important to understanding why Michael, the man, like the human, um, hasn't been a focal point of the film up to this point, but instead, like the trauma that he's left. And I know he didn't leave the trauma on Corey. He was not you know, responsible for that. However, he is responsible for the demeanor that the town has been left in. So maybe they're a little quicker to judge somebody who takes another life. Um, but what say you? Let's start with uh, with Colby on this one. So, yeah, they, they are really important, right? Because it's almost like this lull, like both of those stories, you know, it's almost like every story has like that um, that low point before you head back up for the climax, right? Like things build, build, build. And then like you hit that low point where it's like, oh, nothing can ever be right again. And then it's like, bam. And then, you know, the hero has to face, you know, they have to slay their dragons or whatever. Um, this felt like kind of like that, that buildup, right. Where things are kind of going well for Corey. you know, maybe things are looking up for him. He's starting to get out a little bit more. Um, like you said, there's trauma in the town in Haddonfield because of what has happened so many times. And, and in recent memory for folks, because of what, you know, like, like we were talking about where Michael essentially murders a, a farmer's market worth of people in the town. Some Still of them that. have been around for a while. You know, we, we have some folks that, you know, some callbacks to lots of previous films, but it, it feels like, oh, okay, things are getting better. And then just like this sudden, it's almost like, you know, when, if, if you've ever worked in film and, you know, you have to set the timer and that, that, that clap is the thing that, you know, helps you mark and sync up the audio. It's almost like that where it's just like, or like a record scratching where it's just like, no, just kidding. Actually, we're going right back down. We're going back to that low point. And then everything that happens afterward, right. In, in all of those moments, because there are some nice moments in terms of relationships, in terms of things, you know, kind of working out. And so I agree with you. They weren't throwaway moments. Like they were really, really critical to kind of like hammer home the point that, this is how the town sees them and that they're not just, they are maybe not what they perceive themselves to be, even as they try and open themselves back up to living in, in Haddonfield. Let's talk about perception for a second. Justin, I want to get your opinion on this. The, uh, the old trope is if you're going to have a bully, that bully's going to be big and he's going to be bad. And he's going to play football and he'll kick your ass. He's not going to be a sousaphone player. He's not going to be on the drum line. One of those kids probably plays the flute. I don't know. He probably plays the flute. Um, one of them may play a skin flute. I don't know. But we'll, that, that's. <laughs> I mean, if he's a teenage that. boy, it's a good bet. 
<laughs> I don't play it, but I know all the notes. Um, so, Justin, <laughs> what do you think about this bully scene? Like, should, is it like maybe, maybe am I putting this too far under the microscope or should they really not have gone with the band kids? And I, I'm a parent of band kids. Okay. Yeah. They're not going to bully anybody. Tell me what, well, you know where I'm going with this. What do you well, think? I think, I think it kind of ties in with the, uh, with even like the last thing where we're talking about, you know, like the Corey's party, the supermarket scene that what my thoughts on that whole thing are is, is the entire town is fractured. Look at what happened with the, uh, the, uh, guy who escaped with michael and howling kills and it's the evil dies tonight you know kind of whole thing where eventually a guy jumps you know you know jumps out of the building so uh the whole town itself is kind of fractured and it goes from and that's and i think that opening montage where it shows people like you know hanging themselves or every murder is attributed to this and the way that they treat Lord, the way they treat and alienate Corey, you know, um, I think that it goes down to like, as much as I don't really have a lot of believability that this vicious killer, the next Michael Myers, Corey Cunningham is going to uh, just get his ass whipped a couple times by the high school band. Um, I think it just shows it's like this town has a, a problem. This, the, there's a there's a sense of it's a weird off like aggressive defensive mechanism where you know they because uh, that's how it starts is they're just like oh it was like we know who you are you know you're this and then Lori pulls up and it's like oh it's the psycho and the freak show you know um, this whole town has really kind of got an issue you know even though I don't feel like maybe the band would have been the best group to go with but it kind of just showed across the board that like everyone in this town is kind of not coping with trauma well yeah (laughs) maybe probably trickling down right yeah like maybe maybe the band is the exact mechanism to use because like you said billy like these guys like the band like yeah it's so bad in this town the band is going out here doing this stuff right (laughs) like the bangers are getting these guys like yeah man like haddonfield is messed up (laughs) <laughs> don't yeah. go there and if you do go don't go anywhere near the band room <laughs> you'd rather go you'd rather go to the bar uh yeah I mean, just Corey's go just to the hitching post the color guard but... kids didn't get him <laughs> <laughs> god okay well you know what point taken uh, i mean that's a really good point but you know Corey doesn't have the best home life either i mean if he can't take it from the band kids he's sure not taking it at home his mom is toxic and we don't know if she became that way before or after the incident with a kid. But what was the very first point of the film where you sensed, and I'm going to start off with Brittany, where you sensed that Corey was now on the wrong path? So it was actually early on uh, in in the film where I could you could kind of see the wheels in his head turning uh, because you had gathered that this wasn't the first time. And, the, you know, band kids, uh, bullying comes from everywhere. You, people project. And he, I'm sure this was probably a lot worse at one point. And you can kind of see that breaking point hit a little, little harder. 
Um, so it was, it was really probably that the, the first scene where he meets Lori, where he, his hands cut, he, you, you can see that, that kind of rage you're tired of being blamed for something, you know, was not your fault. Um, and you, you know, you want so bad to, to exact some type of vengeance, in your mind, vengeance, but you don't, you're not quite there yet, but you can just see those little cracks start in the, in the, in the reasoning. And you just, you, you can tell he was kind of being pushed more to that point. What say you, Justin, when was the first time you saw Corey uh, really, I guess, turning the gear, turning to the next gear? Uh, honestly, I think it was probably, the, I mean, you do have like the anger with, you know, the chocolate milk bottle and everything. And, but it, I mean, at the same time, I mean, they were calling him a pedophile and everything else. Um, yeah. So like, you understand why he's angry. I think some of it, honestly, that I've not really thought about too much until earlier today was he, um, once Allison starts getting really invested in him, and it's like the one thing in his life that he, not that he can necessarily control, but he does have some, some like destiny Influence, maybe. on where it goes and where it ends. Um, that mixed with say um, he's it's somebody who is now embracing him faith, but this person also has a pessimistic view on the town itself they're wanting out so it's like it almost is like kind of like lighting a fuse to where it's like well this is a great person who was dealt a bad hand and they're saying it's okay to screw this town you know um or that people here are awful and i think that almost like to somebody who's fractured like Corey, this is almost like a it's all right sort of thing and it's also like he starts to get some kind of control back over with his life and whenever you mix the two he just it, it became a real toxic thing there are two people in this film who well actually three if you if you count Lori, but there are two people in this film who care about Corey, um and actually love Corey. one um is uh, the stepfather and two being Allison. The stepfather is a good influence on him, but as we see, you know, stepfathers who maybe have not been around like the entire life of the child may not have that strong influence on the child. Allison comes along and she has this influence on him and she's ready to burn the town to the ground. So, yeah, I could see that being maybe the, the way that he goes, because he's already going to have an inclination to go towards, you know, the, the, the bad and maybe destructive. You know, even though it's constructed for them, it it hypothetically, not hypothetically, is metaphorically destructive for the town if they're going to, quote unquote, burn it to the ground. He's down with that. So I, it, it's hard to put a finger on where the first. I guess evil intentions come from and, but it's definitely before they meet the the homeless man outside of the drain, yeah. right? It's definitely before that. And this isn't Corey's first meeting with Michael, 
um, when Corey finds Michael just living in the sewers, um, Michael's got Corey by the throat. Uh, we see the reflection of the mask in Corey's eye. Okay. And this is, this is another, I don't want to say point of contention, um, it, but it is up to your interpretation. We see the shape, if you will, in Corey's eye. Uh, this could be a reflection of Michael looking into because he's right there, right? But it could also be uh, a manifestation of that evil that Michael, you know, really lords over the town of Haddonfield. Um, but what is Michael's reasoning for letting Corey walk away? And do you feel like this, you know, like, like it was an encounter um, that may have been like Michael thinking, hey, I've got a sidekick here. Or I've got a puppet. Colby, I want to start with you. Yeah, so I feel like it's more the second, right? Because he sees, like, the eye thing is really, really key in that scene. You know, because he has him there. They're staring at each other. I mean, Corey's presumably, I mean, it feels like, oh, he's, he's toast, right? Like, Michael Myers has got you. Man, that's it. Like, you're, like, that's hanging out with a rattlesnake. You know what I mean? Like, eventually yeah. you're going to get bit. But, um like you said, the shape is a key thing throughout the series, um, throughout the, the franchise, the shape, right? And when you see it in his eye, it's almost like, um, I feel like uh, in a way there's like a transfer there or there's a recognition there where Michael sees something in Corey that he knows is in himself. So that's why he lets him go. Because Michael's in a bit of a bind where he is, you're right. He's kind of stuck where he is. He needs to get out. And so I think it's more the puppet, like you said, Billy, where it's like, it doesn't seem as a sidekick. Like Michael, Michael Myers doesn't necessarily want a sidekick. He wants a means to an end. And it's weird because we don't really think of Michael Myers as like this calculating killer, right? That's, that's not his way. Michael Myers is stealthy and slick, but, but strong, right? Like he's not the guy who's got some grand scheme that's going to get you. That's not his way. But you also see that, you know, he sees something in Corey, lets him go. Eventually, Corey comes back, right? And he starts to feed him. And eventually, things go down, right? And so, it's just, I feel like that's more of what Michael sees, and that's why he allows the things to, that happen to happen um, as a means to an end more than anything. Well, there was always evil, I guess, embedded in in Corey. But do you think that was awakened, uh, Brittany, by the... Uh, the, the, the killing of the homeless guy outside of the, the drain. Do you think that's what put the, the wheels in motion? I think the wheels had been in motion long before that. Um, I think that that was a catalyst, a good, uh, a good, you know, jumping off point. Well, I, you know, I've thought about this. I have all this rage built up. I have, I, I know why I feel the way I feel. I can do, you know, I can, I can make this more than, than, you know, what just in here, I can actually act, act out uh, this. And, you know, once you've done that and you, you kind of, you're like, oh, this this isn't so this isn't so bad. This isn't so hard. Uh, I think it makes it easier. Um, so I, I think I think the wheels had been in motion long before that, but very very big jumping off catalyst. Justin, you think that maybe he's like telling himself, like I I, I thought I might have it in me, 
but I was too timid. Now that I've taken this homeless guy out, killing is going to get a little bit easier. I think it was Solid Snake in uh, in the first Metal Gear Solid that says killing is just something that happens. The more as you go, it just gets easier as you go. I think maybe he. I think uh, it that was possibly a release for him. I think the uh, Michael looking in his eye and we see the shape. I think that almost is like the closest thing to like harkening back to the mirror or the window. Because uh, they explained it, it was like, yo, he wasn't looking out. He was looking at himself. And so here you are. You have another instance of a reflection, but he's seeing it in Corey's eye. But also at that same time, if you notice, Corey is probably the first victim in the entire series that he almost gives up. And while they're staring at him, Michael's choking him. Like, Corey's, like, putting on a fight for a second, but then quits. And it's almost like he just wants to die. And that... That that kind of kills the thrill of the chase, but also it's probably like really off putting. It's like, hey, there's something to this kid, to Michael, because Corey almost just kind of like quits. He quits by he lets go of his hand and just stares at him, and that's whenever like the reflection kind of thing happens, and then he steps out. The uh, you have the homeless guy, but I feel like honestly, Corey, that was Corey's like moment where it's a release, and uh, with the homeless guy, you've got like, okay, this is this is that now and now it's like i this guy bothered me and i can do something about it (laughs) you know it's like i can defend myself i can be this if there's nothing else that i take from that it's going to be the hearkening back to the reflection in the window like for the first time it's probably the first time he's seen his own reflection yeah and yeah, just looking back, it, seeing that reflection from from Corey back onto himself probably probably woke something up. And there's also, probably a, a conversation to be had. Say that again. He's also somebody that Corey wasn't scared of. Michael. Right for for a moment, he, he seemed startled, and then, like he you seems, said, he just kind he of startled. And once he realized what was happening, he just quits and then keeps going back looking for him yeah when he wrestles him right wild right like i said he's just like doing the thing because i agree with you guys like that moment is when the levee breaks and then like you said the killing of the homeless man it's like yeah like you said billy it's like once you do it once and in this case you know it's kind of an accident but also in self-defense and so then he's like now technically it's happened twice right once as a a true accident once in self-defense and he's in a state of mind where he can say, you know what, this isn't that hard and I can act out like, you know, Brittany and Justin have talked about here. And so I'm going to, he's ramping up. I mean, just make it a little bit easier as you go, baby steps. It doesn't get any, when it comes to killing, I guess there's no easier way to make it to to call it baby steps than accident to self-defense to cold blooded murder. It's like Fight Club, right? After you go for a couple weeks, you're carved out of wood. Pretty yeah. much. And, you know, if, if you really want to talk about homicide, the next, th- the third step would be um, taking a guy who was already a dirtbag and having somebody, or leading him to his death. Not being the hands that took him out, but leading him to the death. So there's three steps before he actually, you know, performs his own first kill of uh, of the doctor. And... You know, 
that that one's a, a pivotal scene as well. If you really think about it, that he probably learns there. And this is at the doctor's home with uh, with the assistant. He basically tries to be Michael and do it all on his own. He gets the doctor, um, stabs him a lot of times. And that's great. Good for you, Corey. Uh, but the girl gets away. She closes the door on him. He realizes like if he were by himself doing this, then he's lost. He's not yet Michael and he wants to be. And I, mean, I guess it's a good thing that Michael's there to, you know, to, to, to give him the and one, but this is uh, you know, th- these are like just a pr- progressive steps for Corey to become what he wants to be ultimately. Now, noticing the change in, in Corey, it happens in different different ways for different people. He all out basically admits to killing someone to Allison and she doesn't bat an eye. I mean, she extends her hands. Brittany, what do you make of Allison's of Allison's response knowing that Michael has basically destroyed her family? You would think that maybe someone would, you know, feel a little bit differently when someone admits, you know, the, the person that they're with admits that they have basically straight up killed a man. Now, I don't know. I, I might have taken as like, hey, I, I killed someone and he's being or maybe feeling guilty about the accidental death of the kid. But I don't think that's what the story's telling us. I think he's admitting to killing the homeless guy. Yeah. So give me your thoughts on that. So I, uh, I had, uh, a, a lot of, of issue with Allison's development throughout this entire movie. And that was part of it is when you, it's like, you know, kind of a, oh, you know, oh, well type, you know, thing, you, you, you killed somebody. It's okay. Uh, it really kind of, to me showed she had really put the blinders onto it. It didn't matter what he did at that point. It didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter what anybody said because everybody was just a bully to him. Poor, poor Corey, you know, and you start to, it really got really toxic, really fast. Uh, and you, you start to make excuses for people and uh, you forget that at a certain point. Uh, and I feel like this really pushed it home for me, at least that you start allowing people to blame their own actions on other people. And that that's okay. Uh, and it was very, uh, it was, it was not to, not to my, not to my favorite moment of hers throughout this. Right. Mine, mine either. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of that. Now, before uh, we go too much further, um, I've actually kept Justin past his uh, past uh, the, the the welcome time. Justin, we're going to have you back on, my man. And uh, I would love to. Gosh, man, I, it's it's been too long. We don't talk enough. Uh, we're going to make this happen. So you enjoy the rest of your night, and I'm going to handle Colby and Brittany over here. For the do rest it, of the time, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go look at Colby's uh, guitar and his profile picture on his <laughs> Do it, do it. This, You're gonna love it. This machine kills fascists. That's, oh. <laughs> what, is, what is it? Love it. 
Justin, thank you very much for joining. I, we're going to see you on the on one very soon, okay? Awesome. Thanks a bunch, guys. Thank you for coming. Later. See ya. So, very good point, Brittany. Um, I was not happy with uh, Allison's character in this. It just struck me as very odd the way that she behaved. But then again, you have to kind of expect and embrace some, you know, oddness from because Lori's being the same way. She's accepting things four years after she just waited 40 years uh, to, to kill a man. So people get over and people kind of accept things a little differently once they've put it in their head that they're going to accept them. Right. True. Right. So did Michael Myers let you live or did you escape? Like this is something that, that Corey asked of Allison. And when she said that my mom saved me, it basically says her, her mom saved her. I feel like this is a time when Corey realizes that he's gone too far and there's no help coming because his mother is not going to save him. His mother has been a big, a big part of his problems and almost feel like this might be, um, this is partly an homage to the movie Christine, but it's also an homage to maybe Stephen King in general. I may have even missed a few things, but I feel like the, the son and mother, uh, issues might be maybe an homage to, to Carrie and, you know, just, a this a mother who is just bananas crazy and doesn't wants the best for Corey, but can't seem to give him the best because she does more damage than helping. So what say you, do you think that this is the, the, the point of no return for Corey? Once he figures out from, from Allison that, you know, her mother helped her escape and that there's no help coming for him. I guess Colby, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, because I feel like in that moment, he realizes that they're not the same. I think that's why he asks the question, right? Because he wants to see, like, are you like me? And did Michael Myers let you live too? Are we in the same club? And when the answer is, no, my mom basically sacrificed herself so that I could live, that's not the same thing at all, is it? And so I think you're right that in that moment, he realizes that there is no help. He's going down a path where he is going to have to walk it alone. And, you know, it's like, well if I'm going to go all in, I'm going to go all in. Right. Cause then they, they really start to go along and he starts to go on his rampage. And some of it's, I think so, some of the kills are like, yeah, all right. Yeah. That guy, yeah, that guy deserved it. You know? Cause like, like what, what is Allison doing dating certain guys in the film? It's like that guy, that guy's like 45. What are you, what oh, are you she's doing? got, she's got terrible taste. I mean, first of all, there's the kid from, from 18 and kills, right? I mean, he's taking yeah. her phone away from her, throwing it in a, a punch bowl or whatever the, the hell yeah. it was. Uh, he's a very shady character. She goes on to the next bad boy who happens to be one of the Mulaney boys. Um, I, I can't remember his first name, but he's one of the Mulaney's and he's a cop now. So, you know, our relationship with, you know, the police in the movies is probably mirroring a lot of social issues. So there's not going to be a lot of trust there either. Now, you move on to number three and usually three strikes and you're out and she's moved on to damaged guy. Number three now. So yeah, there, there's a lot of questions in his like early fifties, like 
Sweetie, you're like though, 20 I think, years old, man. Like, what I are you doing? I think he was younger, but he had that old man haircut. He had a haircut just like Sheriff Brackett had in the original. It was yeah. like literally identical to that same hairstyle. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. And not it's as, supposed to be modern smile, day. Though, huh? yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. No. But, you know, the day after Corey and Allison were told to leave that radio station, um, you know, the DJ basically runs them off right well lori really confronts cool, by the way. oh yeah well lori confronts Corey sleeping in the home i think it was the home of the kid he killed right or the kid that died on his watch yeah that's the same home right yeah so once lori establishes on the, on the very spot yes right there at the in in the foyer um i'm fancy so i say foyer mm-hmm. but um once lori establishes that she's not gonna let Corey hurt allison like he basically went, you know, full court press. Like he's now like up in the guns. He's smiling in her face. He's bringing up Michael, something he never had the balls to do earlier. Uh, once it's only them, you know, the 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 guns kind of get brandished. And at, at one point, he goes to sit on the stairs, thus taking his eyes off of Lori. Well, sometime during his little monologue, she disappears. And I can't help but think that maybe she felt that, hey, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to tell him what's up because I've dealt with worse. But the moment I can get out, I'm going to get out because he will probably try to kill me. Do you think that she's at the point where she believes he's far past gone? Uh, Brittany, let's start with you. Oh, yeah, I, I I think she she's fully aware that he is. He is out the door. There's, there's no, that he's reached that point of no return. Uh, It's, it's not going to happen. And she can see, see, it's like, you can see a vision of that future and and you don't want, that's a, a, you know, a a maternal instinct to protect, uh, especially your only, only uh, granddaughter. And uh, yeah, I, I I think she knows exactly what he is at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe not exactly what he's done, but you can, she's, she's seen it enough through her own experiences to be able to recognize it in him. Well, not only that outside the radio station, she sees him like she's spying on Allison and Corey and she sees Corey jump off the, uh, the side of the canopy there and what's he do? He does that famous sit up, right? Like the undertaker is <laughs> sitting up and like, this is uh, something that like, yeah, I've seen little things. Mm-hmm. I've seen little things out of Corey. Now I saw one really big thing and it's yeah. things that I'm far too familiar with. What say you Colby? Yeah, you're right. Because she has a lot of experience and there starts to be far too many parallels with Michael, right? She has decades of experience with Michael and, Back to the first film, like what does Michael do? Michael comes home, right? Or he at least returns to the scene of his first crime. That's what Corey's doing. He's a broken man now returning to the scene of his first crime, you know, quote unquote, because we've we all agree that it was an accident, but still it's maybe the way he starts to see it. And so she's like, Yeah, I've seen this movie too much. Like, I need to confront him. But your your point is a good one where like she's not gonna stand there and like fight him. No. She's not going to she's not going to do that. Like she needs to get out. And uh, maybe it's a little bit of that that Myers trickery because, you know, 
Michael has a way of disappearing himself. So <laughs> oh, he sure does. He sure does. Yeah, pulling the pulling the same games on on Corey that Michael's pulled on her so many times. Yeah. But you know, after years of Doctor Loomis and Lori exclaiming that Michael's not a man, like mm-hmm. he's 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 something more. He's evil. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that the boogeyman? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think it was. Um, th- they pretty much settled on Michael as an entity. It may have been metaphorical, but why did this film? totally switch gears in multiple scenes, mind you, and declare that Michael is just a man. I mean, was it a revelation? They did this a couple of times. There was when Lori was disposing of the body and there's when Corey was taking the mask off. You're just a man. Give me the mask. You're just a man, right? So was this a revelation that they had over time or was this just kind of lazy writing and a, a a simple way to you know, walk into a definitive finale. Either one of you. I'm too mad. <laughs> uh, I, I'm i going to, uh, I, I, I can't uh, justify that. You, you spent two, two movies just in the last several years building up this otherworldly boogeyman pure evil i devil's eyes type of thing and i i think it was a way just to hone in the fact that this is going to be the final this is where it's going to come to a conclusion we have to you know he is just a man uh i i don't want to say lazy writing because i think they tried to do it well but it was I, I more poor planning <laughs> over over anything else, uh, just because it is. We know as, uh, collectively as fans, uh, you know, you know that everybody knows that he is the epitome of evil, and you know that is what you went in expecting, and it was just a flip and i do think it was because just to to tie up loose ends to to make kind of one of those things where like yeah it's not lazy writing but we only got contracts for three movies so we're gonna have to do this we gotta gotta wrap this up quickly tie it up with a nice little bow colby what say you on that man or essence of evil well you're right because like they've built this up right that man he's he's more than a man he is this entity the way you said billy Mm-hmm. And you can't just kill an entity off in a single film, can you? So they got to bring it back down. Mm-hmm. And so they attempt to do that by saying, oh, he's just a man. And they do that in subtle ways, right? Like the scene that we talked about in the sewer where Corey sees Michael for the first time and there's the, you know, the eye to eye and you sort of gaze into the eyes of Michael inside the mask. That's the first time that I think you really start to see them get at that. But then later, like you said, when Corey steals the mask and he's running around wearing it and Michael now isn't. And, you know, he's an old guy, (laughs) to to put it plainly, like he's an old guy walking around. And so they're sort of trying to, like, bring it back down for the final scene where there is a, a wrapping up of all of this. Because, yes, it maybe it's it's a little too too grand to think that. All of these films, all of these decades, all of this, and then this is the way that Michael Myers, you know, how it gets wrapped up. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they had to do it because, like you said, we've got contracts for three movies, and it's called Halloween Ends. <laughs> so we've got to do something, and we can't just kill Superman when he's at the height of his power. We got to bring him down and make him immortal again, so that we can wrap things up. Yeah. See, I have slightly a different view on this because, and I guess it's good that we have different views uh, because otherwise, a roundtable discussion does no good. But I've always taken those uh, "he's not a man" type statements to be metaphorical. And when when it comes time to figure out, like, well, why isn't he dying? Why did he not die in the streets? when uh, Tommy and company were beating him with everything from handguns to knives, to baseball bats, to, to irons that, you know, he, he gets up and he does this thing. Well, I learned a long time ago and it was such a simple statement uh, from, I believe it was my stepdad that told me, I said, why does it not hurt him? He's like, well, because he's nuts. He hasn't, he has no, like his pain threshold is just through the roof. And if you don't get a vital organ, then he's not going to die. And I thought about that after every time Michael's, you know, seemingly died. Take uh, part four, for example, they lit him up with, uh, with guns. They basically had him on the firing range and, you know, he falls down the, the sewer. And I know this is not the same timeline, but this is just, you know, me thinking uh, logically. I mean, what if it doesn't hit any vital organs? What if he doesn't bleed out? What if there is somebody to, to take care of him? Because this is something that I thought about, at the beginning of part five, okay, he was nursed back to health by an old man, an old homeless man, a vagrant that mm-hmm. kept him alive for about a year's time. Okay. Uh, basically, Michael lay in a, in a cot uh, being fed by this, this old man with his parrot uh, near the riverside or n- near the, the stream side. And I can't help but think that maybe this homeless man that, Corey ended up killing could be maybe I don't want to call it an Easter egg. I don't want to call it a, an homage or anything like that, but maybe that's meant to have the same type of explanation. When Michael came limping into, you know, the sewers after getting nearly beaten to death in Halloween kills, he gets one more kill off and then he's nursed back to health. Maybe by this, this vagrant can't say for sure. They never even, they never even hint that that might be you know the explanation but i do think there's some logic to that and there's probably an argument you know both ways um whether or not you take it metaphorical or literal i think is the beauty of this whole thing because you can now leave it to your own interpretation and halloween ends means what it means to you and i think there's no better way to write a story if i'm being honest about it so is Halloween ends a little too Christine or just an acceptable amount of Christine? Brittany, you're the book lady. Talk to me. <laughs> I've actually never read Christine. I've never, Oh been my able, God. I've never been able to make it through a Stephen King book all the way. I know. I'm really? Ashamed. I'm so ashamed of myself. I pretended uh, to read one, one time. Salem's, I, I, lot, Salem's lot worth your time. I've never, I've never, I will never pretend I am not, I'm not that way. I I can't pretend I've tried really hard, hard copy audio. Just, I I can never make it through all the way. Um, I was in first grade though. I was in first grade. (laughs) Yeah. I pretended to read Cujo. You were in Um, first. 
Yeah, because uh, this may be something that was a little bit before your time, but we had a little something called the Book It program. Okay. And the Book It program meant that you read uh, like X number of books and your class gets a pizza party. Okay. So I just walked around the house and I wrote down the titles of all these books, the author's names, had my mom assign it for me. I said, Hey, I read these. And my mom's not going to be reading Cujo. Cujo's like that thick. So, and and I pretended to read it and we got that pizza party by God. You should have done it. That would have been more impressive. I didn't even know it was a thing. I just no, knew that Kujo had a, was about it. a dog. Talk well, I actually like thought, you know, because um, I probably saw the movie Cujo and knew what it was about and could say, if anybody asked me, what's it about? I could say, well, it's about that. And it's not that far from the truth. No, no. It's not, yeah, not, I mean, that's, that's one of the least, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, there's not a lot of difference between the book and the movie with Cujo. Yeah. Yeah, The rest of his books, there's a shitload of difference. There's tons of difference. There's more, more differences than you care to. Uh, The kid dies in the book, but that's about it. And had anybody asked me that I would have given away, you know, what, (laughs) that I didn't read this book. There you go. But tell Uh, me, uh, just rapid fire is, uh, is Halloween ends to Christine or not enough Christine or just an acceptable amount of Christine. I think it's an acceptable amount of Christine. And I, I say that as I love Christine, the movie itself. I, I, that's, I adore it. I adored it from, you know, childhood on. I, it's still one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it had just enough. I think it, you know, it tied in, it tied in really well. They, you know, it was very subtle. I don't think it was too over the top. Um, and it was, uh, it was a good, a, a good segue. It had it had good, a good feel to it. It wasn't, you know, blatant in your slapped in your face, but it wasn't, you know, so subtle that people wouldn't catch on to it. So I, I think they did a pretty good job. There's a one scene, and that's the one in the junkyard. Colby, do you think that this film is too Christine or acceptable amount of Christine? Yeah, I think it's it's not too much, right? Because they don't just completely parallel everything that happens in Christine. Because like, I think a good example is when Eddie dies, right? Mm-hmm. The, the car is distraught by that, right? Like it doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Michael doesn't care. Mike, Michael doesn't <laughs> care, you know, about Corey. He fully had a hand in. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't care about Eddie him, dying. right? Like, yeah, it's 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 totally fine, right? Like, in, but in Christine, the car is just a mess when that happens. Right. Yeah. And so I also was thinking about, um, cause there is an influence, right? Like the car starts to have this influence on Eddie. Right. And that's yes. how they build this relationship. And it's the other way around here. Yeah. It's, it's not quite that, right? Like it feels like Corey is seeking this thing from Michael. Whereas like, it's the reverse, like as Eddie starts and to Michael's work on accepting it, because yeah. I have, a, I have a theory on that as well. Yeah. So, but like, yeah, I, I think you're right. The, the the car is the one influencing Eddie in Christine. And so and then the end of Christine, you know, if you've seen the film, the, the, the car gets, you know, smushed. And then there's just that little movement. You know what I mean? Just to kind of like leave the door open a little bit. You don't get that in, in Halloween ends. That's not no, you don't. There's there's nothing to even wiggle. Nope. <laughs> like, and, and it's on purpose, right? Like they did that on purpose. So it's just enough, Christine. There are elements of it, uh, but it's not over the top because, like I said, there are key differences throughout that's like, no, it's not like that. So was Michael planning to kill Corey all along or did he only do it because of the betrayal, Colby? 
I think that he does. Cause I think, like I said, when we talked earlier about, does he see him as a sidekick or as a puppet myself personally, he sees him as a puppet. And so a means to an end, right. It's like I said, you hang out with a rattlesnake long enough, it'll bite you. And yeah. eventually Michael's going to bite Corey. It's, it's just going to happen. So they may be hanging out. Uh, we talked about the fact that maybe Michael gains power from getting kills. Um, I think that the film maybe hints at that, right? Because as things go on, that it's that subtle, it's subtle, but very visible. Right. But at the end of the day, Michael's not like, all right, he betrayed me. I'm going to kill him. Like, he doesn't care. Like that, that's the thing about he was going to die to begin with. Yeah. Like he was going to, he was going to kill him eventually anyway, but he just sees something in him that is like, Oh, I can work with this. And then eventually when it's run its course, the rattlesnake's going to bite. Tell me your thoughts on Michael's actual end. Actually, before you do that, let, let me tell you uh, my theory here was that Michael was using Corey because he knew that Corey was going to kill in his name. You know, he, he felt like he was going to get something out of this Corey relationship and that's to get his power back. Like nothing like chummy, no, no sidekick stuff, but you know what? If, if, if I'm going to be drawn or this kid's going to be drawn to me, I'm going to be able to kill and I'm going to be able to get my strength back and I'm going to be, I'm going to be old Michael again. And I think that's what he wanted. He just wanted to subsist and he didn't want to die. And he was slowly dying down in the um, doggone alarm. You hear that? I hate that. See, this was going perfectly. And I just screwed it all up. No, but uh, so Michael doesn't want to die. He wants to, he wants to live. He wants to live on to kill again, because that's really the only thing that keeps him going. And that first kill with, um, with, with Mulaney, you see like a trembling and it's, it's a very subtle trembling, but he's getting something out of it. And I don't think it's just like joy. I think it's some sort of strength. Now that is the part that I have a hard time coming to terms with because I have fought this supernatural, this paranormal thing for so long. And I just told you a few minutes ago, the Michael's not a man stuff is metaphorical to me. Well, how do I reconcile that with well, he's gaining strength by killing because there's no logical human explanation for that. But I said it anyway. So, hey, I'm going to I'm basically talking out of both sides of my mouth. Right. And, but again, that's the beauty of it all. You interpret it the way you want to interpret it. And there's no wrong answer. But now give me your thoughts. And I'll, I'll start with Brittany on Michael's end from the fight in the kitchen to the junkyard. Do you think this was a proper fitting end for Michael Myers? I thought uh, it was, it was actually one of the few times as I was watching this movie, I was very, uh, it's like, this is what I've been waiting for. And it was the last, last little bit. Uh, I thought it was a very fitting in uh, um, for his specific character. She gets to take, be the one to take him out. She, and she is Lori, you know, has come this long way and she has been able to finally defeat that, that demon that has haunted her for all these years. And with the help of her granddaughter, who Allison, who also, even though she has not 
faced this foe for nearly as long as Lori has that, you know, she did lose everything because of him uh, to that together. I, I really enjoyed that, that strong female ending where you take him out together uh, and that, co that coming together. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I, thought it was you know a fitting send off this is you're, you're never coming back not even the chance of coming back um it's you're you're gone there you know that you can't tape tape together that those shredded pieces um and the only part i did not uh did not totally enjoy about it was that there was no yes the town got to you know see it there was this kind of send off but there was no kind of resolve with the fact that okay this monster is gone now kind of uh kind of you know heal yourself and and show that to Lori who you treated so horribly throughout this entire entire movie you blamed her so now y'all come together there it felt very uh there wasn't that satisfying ending for me but yeah. but it, it should have been more cathartic. Yes, that's more cathartic. So, Colby, what say you? How how did you like the the end of Michael Myers in this timeline? Yeah, I like what I like what Brittany how she pointed out that like Lori had to have the help of Allison there to kind of like seal the deal, right? That's that was an important thing. I guess I didn't think of in the moment, but it's like yeah, she had to have her there. I get what you're saying though, where it's like okay, the whole town does the thing; they go through the weird pseudo funeral i guess um they close that chapter in their in their town's history um but you're right like does, does that mean that also there's a forgiveness of lori mm, we don't get that vibe right like it doesn't there's not really that thing like is she now accepted at the grocery store is that cool now or is she gonna get harassed some more the only thing that i think where they get close to hinting at that kind of thing is maybe um the scene with uh, the sheriff guy, I don't know his name, uh, where he shows up and they, you know, they sort of pick up that conversation they had at the grocery store earlier, right? Where it's sort of like she's ready to have nice things again, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. She's, she's, she's twiddling with her hair and, and all is, that stuff. But the, yeah, yeah the old, they're, old they're thing, ready right? to go to Pound Town, is what they're ready to do. All right. They're, they're tired of messing around. They're like, you know what? We're about to have old people sex sometime after this movie's over and there's nothing you guys can do about it. That's fine. Cherry blossoms. Totally yeah. fine with it. Yeah. In Japan. She, when, when, yeah. When she said cherry blossoms, she meant anal is what she meant. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> okay, guys, quit messing around. Listen, with all the Easter eggs and the homages and this end with Michael, what would you like to see next out of the Halloween franchise? If anything, Brittany, we'll start with you. Mm, that's really good. So I, I really, I'm fine with them laying the mass to rest. Uh, I am under the uh, opinion it really should have ended probably in 2018. I loved Halloween. That ending was amazing to me. Uh, it was everything I wanted it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm fine we have so much and you can only take a character so far. I would like to see 
more of that anthology, you know, bringing in new, uh, new blood to, you want things to grow and you want things. And there's so many good storylines It had set it. There was, there was good meat to, uh, to that character. And there was good meat to that story. It just wasn't, I didn't feel like it was fleshed out enough to where it, you know, it really got its proper due. So I would, I would be, you know, totally down for, you know, them to carry on with an anthology uh, and just lay the mask to rest. What say you Colby? Yeah, I think it's tough. Cause um, if they were going to do that, they should have stuck to their guns after three, yeah. right. Where it's like, we're going to do this and this is the way we're going to do it. But it feels like the studio chickened out because three got the reception that it did. They're like, oh, crap, we need. OK, we're going to bring back Michael. And that's really, you know, the mask, like like Brittany just said, like, that's what the franchise becomes at this point. Like, I don't know that they can do that. I don't know that they can be like, all right, we're going to go back to like three or if they are. They're going to have to seriously like American Horror Story it and really stick to their guns on this. Right. Like they can't go back because uh, I agree. Like, I don't know where else they can go with the Michael Myers story aside from reboot. That's really it. It's the yeah. only other place it can go. And so I think that if I don't think they can really do an anthology. And if they do, um, it's got to they have to figure out a way to do it in a way that's palatable because they're just too far into it now. Uh, they missed their boat when they decided to go back in four and bring back Michael Myers, the return of Michael Myers. So I don't know where it's going to go, man. Aside from reboot, I can't see a clear path uh, unless somebody else wants to do their interpretation. You know, because like you said, we've, we've had the Rob Zombie interpretations. Uh, we've had, you know, this this more recent trilogy uh, and its interpretation, which is a continuation of sorts. But also, you know, some some other director's um, vision for it. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the way they, they come in and it's midstream and they say, we're going to do it this way with new characters, but the mask continues. Shout out to the guys on Slasher U, our affiliate show, our brother show with Christian Rao and Steve Feck, the Feckless Wonder. Guys, I mean, honestly, you, you think about it, and there are a few different timelines within the Halloween franchise. You know, you've got the uh, the Cult of Thorn. You've got the, the Jamie Lloyd, you know, from 4 and 5. I don't really consider the beginning of six her timeline, even though it technically is. Um, but I would like to see that. I, I would like to see more of Jamie. I don't know if I want Daniel Harris. Um, I, I wouldn't say no to it. I mean, she's, I mean, she's definitely kept herself up. She still looks, she looks like an older version of the child that we watched on part four and five, you know, but I actually could see uh, Halloween go to the anthology thing. Or at least a reboot remake of Season of the Witch. Yeah, I've always contended that Season of the Witch nobody would ever have a problem with it if it wasn't called Halloween. And time has been very kind to Season of the Witch. You've got some casuals who still say, "Yeah, well, I watched it in theaters. I was disappointed. I hate it." But you've got like hardcore fans that are like, "You know what? If you really watch this film and you get Michael Myers out of your head." Season of the Witch is it's a pretty damn good movie, and I'm inclined to agree. It is a fantastic film that had it only been called Season of the Witch, it would be an all-time great. An all-time great. 
So that's you know th- that's my final thought on it. So final thoughts. Give this uh, give this film Halloween ends uh, a grade out of 10, 10 slashes. We'll call it out of ten slashes. I'm giving it a solid eight slashes. I loved it. I've got no problem with anything they did homage wise or Michael Myers not being so much in the film wise. I like the Corey arc. Um, the only thing I can say as far as opportunities, I wish there had been more Michael versus Lori at the beginning of the film to explain why the night after Lori walked out of the hospital looking for Michael, did she not find it? We got that in sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the memoirs, but it just wasn't enough. I need visuals. I need this to be, um, you know, something that you spell out to me because you didn't give us a lot of Michael in this film. And there is something to be said for those complaints. Uh, Brittany, what say you? <clears throat> oh, uh, yeah, I, I think you were very kind with your slashes. Uh, I'm probably, I, there were parts of this I did enjoy. Uh, I would have liked more had it been expanded on. I feel like it was a very messy planning of a movie, uh, but it had, it had good bones. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, to me a, a five, five slashes. Uh, five out I, of ten. Five out of ten. It's a I'll be damned. Point. Brandy's got standards, man. I've got standards. Uh, Billy I, doesn't. <laughs> Billy I, I, doesn't I, have I, standards. I, I want, you know, I want cohesive, uh, a cohesive plot point to where I can, you know, and I, I like, you know. At the beginning, if what you said, I think if they had switched it, if they had maybe made the beginning that epic battle that and then you uh, you pick up the mask after and maybe kind of continued on with a Corey story and you could have, you know, finished that off and maybe another movie. I think that would have and the the taking evil taking a new shape. I think I would have enjoyed that more. But as it was, I I was I was disappointed. Five out of ten. I'll be damned. Colby, you're, you're the final guy here. Yeah. So um, I'm a little more than five because um, I'm not I'm not like one of these hardcore Halloween folks that like it has to be so such a way. Billy, I was gonna say I think you're right actually when you said that redoing a. a a redo of season of the witch might be just the way to turn it into an anthology to say, we're going to go back to that moment and then we're going to continue in that vein. Now kickstart it. Yeah, that might be the way. So smart move on your part. Uh, Good suggestion. But for me, glad, glad I thought of it, (laughs) (laughs) but for me, I'm going to go seven slashes because it feels like the, I like being entertained and I was entertained throughout this film. Like you said, I like the Corey arc. I like the way that they sort of used him as a mechanism to kind of show, you know, sort of a mirror to the way that not just Haddonfield is, but the way that society is. Right. And and that's what, that's what good art does. And so I felt like they did a good job there, but there were misses, right? Like, Oh, and also I like, I like this film because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. When, when they go back to the radio station to take care of business, like <laughs> yeah. there are some like funny moments. Like, I mean, 
there are like funny kills in this movie. The tongue on the uh the, the tongue on the record player, right? Gosh. Like that's uh that's something Can't we didn't even talk about that. We <laughs> didn't because you know, I feel like we we sort of let folks we, we talked we didn't talk too much details here, so we left it open for some folks who maybe haven't seen it. But for me, like it this film didn't take itself too seriously. There were moments where like there there was some good stuff, but then also like Brittany said, there were some times where it was like, What? this doesn't make sense. Like what, how did this happen? Like, I know there's a gap, but like, why, how is this? So those kinds of holes in the plot of how we got there, um, they got to make a movie and I get it, but you gotta, you gotta type some of those loose ends, especially in a film called Halloween ends, where it's all about tying up loose ends one way or another, right? You have to do some of those things. And so that's where I think it missed but overall, I was entertained, and I liked the characters that they introduced, and I liked the way things went. It's interesting. Got us, got us talking about it for an hour and a half. So, Colby, I don't think I could have encapsulated it any better than that. So that's where we're going to put a bow on this show, guys. I really do appreciate your time tonight. Uh, doing these roundtables is a time commitment, and you guys have been very gracious with your time. And I, I appreciate you. I know the listeners are going to appreciate you, and I can't wait to have you guys on again. If you love these guests, as you very well should, check out the episode description uh, in today's uh, you know, of today's guests in uh, in the bio. So we're going to have link trees and and links to social media on all of our projects. And uh, you're going to be able to find these guys anywhere you want to find them. So until next time. Go forth and may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.